I have uh, never had to go to court, fortunately. I've never had to, to sit down in a, uh, the chair and be uh, questioned by a lawyer or by a judge. I've, I've never had that experience. I have watched Judge Judy a time or two, so I, I do know a little bit of how it works. But uh, back a few years ago, and I don't want to bring up something and, and get people all riled up, but, uh, you know, a few years back, the uh, O.J. Simpson trial, it's on the news every night. You, you couldn't, if you were living back then, you couldn't escape all the talk. And we saw bits and pieces of that trial. We saw testimony. We saw the defense and the prosecution make arguments day and night for months and months and so when it finally came time to read the verdict, I remember him standing, whether you think he's guilty or innocent is irregardless, but I remember him standing and I tried to put myself, wonder what he's thinking right now. I remember asking myself that. Can you imagine how sick you would feel when your future hangs in the balance of another man's judgment? Um, about the worst that I think, I, when I was in sixth grade, I got in trouble. We had a teacher that would write your name down on the board when you got in trouble. And he would wait until the end of class. I think he made, he made you do that just to sweat it out a little bit. And then at the end of class, he would decide whether you got paddled in front of the whole class. And one day he wrote my name up there. And that was the worst class I think I've ever sat through because I was waiting on the judgment. Do you know the Bible talks about, and the passage that uh, was just read, tells us that we are on trial. And uh, whether you realize it or not, you're on trial every day of your life. And what I want you to consider tonight are that there are at least three ways in which you are being judged, but I want you to pay attention, a special attention, to one of the judgments that we see in this passage. If you don't have your Bible, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 because this is where we'll be looking for uh, the remainder of the evening. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, I think that I can pick out of that passage at least three judgments, at least three trials upon which we will be judged or by which we will be judged. And I'd like for us to look at all three of those tonight. And the first one, I would say, is the court of public opinion. You know you're being judged every day, whether you like it or not, by people who know you. Maybe they don't know you, but they just see you, or you're just an acquaintance with them. They pass judgment upon you, and oftentimes this court of public opinion isn't very fair. You may not be treated uh, fairly in this court. But if you let that get to you, you can be non-productive. You, you almost have to just disregard much of what takes place in this judgment and in this courtroom. Because I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, well, look at verse 3 in particular. He, Paul said, listen, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. He said, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference to me if you're going to pass judgment on me. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. We need to, to toughen our skin just a little bit so that when people pass judgment on us that is unfair, 
we don't get so bent out of shape and so offended and hurt that we become nonproductive, that we retreat and, and, and the work of God um, slows or sometimes even comes to a halt. I know it hurts when you hear people say things about you, but Paul had the right attitude. It means very little to me if you're going to stand and judge me. It just doesn't amount to much. And I need to develop that kind of attitude when it comes to this court of public opinion. Listen, you're often, and it will always be, and it has always been, you will be misjudged by people in this court of public opinion. First Corinthians, or First Samuel chapter 17, verse 28, David goes to take care of his brothers. He's looking after them. And he goes, they're in the army, and so he leaves his sheep, and he goes to, to send on a, a, you know, a, basically a care package to his brothers who were serving in the military. He's sent on a mission by his father, and when he gets there and his brother sees him, he says, oh, what are you doing here? I, you know what? You just, the only reason you're here, I know your heart, David. I know why you're here. You're here because you like to see the war. You're here because you want to see some bloodshed. You don't care about us. You didn't come to check on us to see how we're doing. You're here because you just want to watch the battle. Now, folks, that's the farthest thing from the truth. David didn't go there because he wanted to watch the battle. His brother misjudged the heart of David. And, made a, and you know, if, if David were of the mind that maybe sometimes we get into, somebody misjudged me in that way and talked to me that way, man... I'll take my care package and go home. I don't need this kind of abuse. I don't need this kind of mistreatment. I've walked all this way. I've left my own job to come and take care of you, and you're going to talk to me that way? Yeah, I'll never do that again. This man threatened David, accused his character of being less than noble. But, you know, David said, is there not a cause? You can call me whatever you want to call me. You can judge my motives, misjudge my motives. You can say I came here for the wrong reason. But at the end of the day, there's still a cause. Is there not a cause? And we need to have the attitude of Paul. We need to have the attitude of David. All right, you're going to misjudge me. What am I going to do? Am I going to go home and pout? Or am I going to just continue to do what needs to be done because there's a cause? In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 17, we read about Elijah the prophet. And he was trying to bring about some reform in the behavior of the Israelites. They had become idolatrous and he had spoken out against it. And when he finally met King Ahab, who was wicked, King Ahab said, Oh, there you are. I've been looking for you. You're the troublemaker in Israel. Elijah hadn't caused any trouble. Can you imagine being tagged a troublemaker when you hadn't done anything wrong? And don't just look at it. Put yourself, you know, this is, it's, you can't separate the, the religion from the state in Old Testament Israel. Put yourself in a position of maybe coming to church and somebody meets you at the door and says, Oh, you're here tonight, you troublemaker. Would you want to come on in? Would you feel like, well, if you're going to treat me that way, I'll just go home or I'll go somewhere else. I'm, I, don't, I haven't done anything to you. Why would you say that? 
But that's the way that Elijah was treated by King Ahab, misjudged. He hadn't caused trouble. He'd spoken the word of God. And then you can turn to Mark chapter 3 and verse 21. Even among the, own, the family of Jesus, when Jesus began his ministry, people thought he was out of his mind. Even his own family and friends thought he's lost his mind. He's crazy. He thinks he's the son of God. I don't know what to do. What do we do with this guy? He's not right. Jesus was right. He hadn't lost his mind. And he didn't let the, the court of public opinion dissuade him from being true to who he was and what his mission was. The Bible also tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, um, verses 10 through 11, again, the Apostle Paul in this passage, and he says here in this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 4, he said, it's, it's very little to me if you judge me. In 2 Corinthians 10, we read that Paul was judged by those who shouldn't have judged him. Even his own converts, even the ones that he was there and he taught and, and he performed the miracles in front of and he convinced them that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, even his own converts said, I'm not sure about you anymore. I don't even know if you're genuine. That didn't stop him. And so it, the point that I'm trying to get at is that it shouldn't stop us either. There will always be people who judge you. There will always be people who look at you and they only have a passing knowledge of who you are and what you're about. And there are people who will misjudge your character and your motives and attribute evil to you rather than good. And they couldn't be more wrong. When that happens, I hope you'll be like the Apostle Paul and say, it's a little thing to me to be judged by you. Here's a second court, though, that we often go through, and that is the court not of public opinion, but the court of personal opinion. That's another area in which we stand in judgment. And what I'm talking about, if you look at verses 3 and 4 with me, he said, but it's a very small thing to me that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. This passage, in this passage, the Apostle Paul said, you know, I'm not too concerned about what you had to say about me. And matter of fact, I'm not justified by the way I feel about myself. Because at the end of the day, I can feel really good about myself, but if the Lord doesn't feel good about me, then, then there's a problem. And you see, I think a lot of people rely upon this court of personal opinion to determine their standing before God, and that's unreliable. I can't determine whether I'm in a right relationship with God by the way I feel, uh, by how I feel about myself. And that's what a lot of people determine it upon. Why well, wouldn't trade? Listen, I've got this feeling down here deep inside. I know I'm right with God because I feel a certain way. And is that really the safe guide 
can we stand and pass the judgment of God uh, by how we feel about ourselves? Let me, let me give you a couple passages. The first one is Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26. And that passage says, and it's pretty blunt, but it says that a man who trusts in his own heart, that man's a fool. Uh, that's pretty blunt. You cannot trust in your own heart, your own feelings. Because, well, feelings are deceptive. We can feel certain ways. We, we know that. I mean, look at how you may feel and, and how those feelings can get you in trouble and you can be dead wrong by the way you feel. Um, just this afternoon, we were um, over in the Turkey Creek area and we did this little cut-through road that I'd never been on before and I was thinking, now, to hit Pellissippi Parkway, do you turn left or right? And I felt like it was right. Of course it was wrong, and I, I should have turned left. But, you see, I, I felt a certain way. I was pretty sure about that. I felt like that was the right thing to do, but it was wrong. And that, that kind of thing can be multiplied a thousand times over. And even when it comes to religious things, the, the same principle applies. We can't trust our feelings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, we're warned about measuring ourselves against ourselves. That doesn't do us any good. I'm not the standard of judgment. When I stand before God at the end of time, he's not going to say, so how do you feel you did? I feel pretty good about it. Okay, then come on in. I'm not going to be judged by how I feel about myself. I'm not going to be judged by how I measure myself against myself or against others for that matter. So he warns us again that um, the fact that you feel a certain way doesn't make you right in the eyes of God. And he says, number one, I give very little attention to what you think about me. And number two, he said, I give very little attention of what I think about myself. That's not the standard. And, of course, we can see that in Acts chapter 23 and verse 1 where Paul said, up until this day, I have lived in all good conscience. But he, of course, was dead wrong. All right, so we have two courts of uh, where we stand trial. One is public opinion. One is personal opinion. And then here's the third one, and this is the one that we ought to give more attention to, and it's the court of divine opinion. And this is the court that, well, this is the one that matters. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God as opposed to yourself. So here's what Paul said. There is one court that matters. It doesn't matter what I think about myself. It doesn't matter what you think about me. What matters is what does God think about me? And uh, you see, the reason his court is better than mine or yours judging me is because he can see things that we can't see. Not only can, not all the time can we be honest with ourselves. We, we um, gloss certain things over. 
and you can't see my heart. I can put on a good show, and you might think I'm the best guy, and deep down, boy, I, I could be jaded in a lot of ways. God sees the hidden man of the heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intentions. And so, therefore, his judgment is the one that matters. In fact, here's why it matters. Because, number one, it's infallible. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25, when God was contemplating the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham begins to make intercession for them. But he says this concerning God. He said, will not the judge of the earth do right? Won't he? God will do right. His judgments are infallible. He'll never make a mistake. I might make a mistake judging myself. I might make a mistake judging you, but God won't because he knows everything. So there's no piece of evidence that has been hidden or skewed or twisted to a person's uh, detriment or betterment that he doesn't know about. So God's judgment is infallible. His judgment is thorough. Not only does will he not make a mistake, but the reason he doesn't make a mistake is because he sees it all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Everything that we have done, whether good or bad, will be brought into the judgment and will be judged accordingly. So it's, it's thorough. You go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14, and again, he says the same thing. Every secret thing will be brought to light. You, you cannot hide from God. Um, so, and, and then finally, his judgments also are judgments that are penetrating. He, he sees the secret things. And so we stand day to day, and every day we take the seat on the witness stand, and people pass judgment on us. I shouldn't be so concerned about what people think of me. Paul said that matters very little to me. I really shouldn't be too terribly concerned about what I think of myself because I can be, well, there's all kind of warnings about self-deception in Scripture. And just because I feel good about myself doesn't mean that I am right in the eyes of God. There's a lot of religious people that feel good, but they're wrong. And then there's this court of divine opinion. And that's the one that I better pay attention to. That's the one that really matters. And the reason it triumphs over the other courts, and it's kind of like the Supreme Court, it has the final say. It can reverse the judgments of you and, and of me. And the reason is because God's the judge. He sees all, he knows all, and um, he passes judgment thoroughly and fairly, justly. And so as we bring this lesson to a close, let me just ask you a question. If you were called today to sit down and to be judged by God, how would you plead? Maybe a better question than how would we plead, because most people say, oh, I'm innocent. I'm innocent, even when they're as guilty as all uh, as can be. The better question might be, not how would you plead, but how would God rule? What would he say about you? And as we sing this song of encouragement, I want you to consider the judgment that takes place on your life every day. 
Don't be too concerned about what the person next to you thinks about you. They may be dead wrong. Don't be too concerned about how you feel about yourself because you can be self-deceived and and think more of yourself than what you ought to think. What I want you to think about is what God sees when he looks at your life. And if he were to pass ruling on you today, how would he rule? Do you have hidden sins, pet sins that you won't turn from, that you continue to, to engage in? Do you Do you have things where you know you should be doing something different and you don't? You continue in habits that are bad. Come clean. God knows all those things, even if we don't. He sees it all. And so the bottom line is this, John 12 and verse 48. You can reject Jesus, but if you do, you just need to know there's one that will judge you. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken... The same shall judge you in the last day. I can say I don't like them. I can say they're not true. But at the end of the day, they're still my judge. So if you need to make things right in your life, if there's some commandments of God that he's asked you to perform and you haven't yet done so through procrastination, um, whatever it is, maybe you've been intimidated by what other people think about you. Don't let that cord of public opinion cause God to look upon you with disfavor. His court is what matters. If you need to be baptized tonight, step out and come forward, and we'll take care of that with you, and God will rejoice in heaven. If you're already a child of God but unfaithful, and you need to make your life right tonight, maybe if God were to pass judgment on you and this were your last chance... God delays one last service to give you the opportunity to come clean. What, what, would it, what would happen if you leave here tonight and haven't taken care of anything? How would God judge you? If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.